episode 39 almost over the hill guys you get that I get that because 40 is like when everyone makes jokes about when you turn 40 you're over the hill I remember when I was much younger my parents were turning 40 and all that you know everyone got black balloons and signs that said over the hill and stuff like that and I didn't really understand what that understand what that understood. Boof. I didn't really understood what that means. I didn't really understand what that means. Uh I guess it's pretty morbid in the long run if you think about it. Oh, you're you're over the hill of life, I guess is what that's po- supposed to imply. Whatever, dudes. Um, not over the hill yet, still under the hill. Um, my guest is over the hill. <laughs> He'll love that that came up in the intro. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah, my guest is Chris White. He is a really good friend of mine from Greenville, South Carolina. Someone that I met while I was in college. We get into the whole story. Um, but yeah, Chris approached me uh, a little while ago about being on the show, which was cool because he was someone that I had thought about asking to begin with uh, because I think he's very interesting and has a lot of passions that he kind of uh, shared with me while I was an undergrad and he was an alum of the university. Um, and I knew he would have something fun to talk about on the show. Uh this is uh, specifically an interview about power ballads. Uh, Chris manufactured, formulated is the word I was looking for, a list of his top five power ballads as they are associated with films. As he is an, uh, an independent filmmaker, he wanted to tie that in, and I think that was a great idea. There's some good picks in here. There are I think uh, he defines what he sees as a power ballad, certainly broader uh, use of the term than just with 80s in front of it. Uh, These are not all uh, hair bands. And uh, we talk about some of our mutual faves towards the end. Um, It's a great episode. I'm really excited for you guys to get into it. We talk about this at some point, but I really, really strongly encourage people to go to lookingforbillmurray.com. Chris has finished shooting an independent film that uh, has a scene that he really wants Bill Murray to be in as himself. Um, uh, it's it's part of the plot of the film that the the film is about two filmmakers who made a movie to try to get Bill Murray's attention and now 
they it's kind of like a waiting for Guffman type thing uh he doesn't um actually appear in the movie doesn't show up but they have this scene written in um that they want to be able to shoot with him uh it can still be a movie without it but wouldn't it be cool if it was a movie with it those are that's my that's my sell for it maybe Chris should borrow that when he's trying to uh really push for uh looking for BillMurray.com maybe not he should probably just keep doing all of the great things he's doing without my uh stupid stupid input cool I think this is great and I think everyone everyone is going to really enjoy it Oh, man. Uh, plugs. The Squall has a show tomorrow, Thursday, March 6th at 8 o'clock at the Playground. And Tuesday, March 25th at 8 o'clock at the Playground. The Nerdalogs have our uh, Nerd Comedy Festival, Chicago Nerd Comedy Festival show on March 22nd at 10 p.m. at Stage 773. And Reagan Reagan has shows every single Friday night at 8 at the One Group Mind Theater. Those are the things that I'm doing. Uh, Chris and I talk uh, a bit, a good bit about uh, my goings-on here in Chicago because um, he was interested to hear about them. And you know what? I feel like that's something that I've been doing a decent amount of the last few episodes is talking about myself but that's part of it guys I feel like you wouldn't be listening to this if you didn't have at least some investment in me as a human being maybe that's presumptuous maybe you just really like all my guests uh and that's cool too so um you have to listen to me talk about myself anyway just to hear my guest uh (laughs) this is a hard sell Uh, I'm gonna not dig myself farther into any holes by over explaining anything Um, Chris and I did this over the phone and he recorded his side of the audio and I recorded mine so if anything sounds funky uh, we'll owe it to that Uh, I almost scratched using my side of the audio and just used his because editing was not easy, uh, and that's, that's enough. You get it. You guys get it. If you're still here, then you get it, and I appreciate that. And, uh, I don't want to ramble anymore. So, get into this episode. Enjoy it. Listen to someone who has a lot of uh, cool filmmaking experience and learn something. (laughs) What am I even doing anymore? All right, I'm rolling. And um, if for some reason this stops recording or if my phone battery dies or something happens, I will let you know. Yeah, that would be great. You know, if I feel like this is kind of an experiment anyway, so if anything catastrophic happens, I'm not going to 
stress about it too much. Right. Um, and I, you know, we can always try to plan B it if, uh, if something fails. Um, but yeah, I think this will, I think this will be cool. I think this will be good. Um, you asked me if I feel like I'm making progress in other things or something to that effect. Well, and the things that you love and the things that matter and the things that like yeah. people like me believe in you for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I haven't really talked to you guys since uh, I was in Greenville. What that has to have been over a year ago. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do, I do feel like I feel very, um, creatively fulfilled by a lot of things. Um, I'm, I stay really busy. Um, I, I had a like stressful moment, uh, a little over a week ago when my boss was like, Hey, you're really tired a lot. And that's okay but it seems like you shouldn't be this exhausted all the time yeah and i was like oops you're probably right uh so i i think i need i'm trying to like scale back and not necessarily on projects themselves but just on things that uh i can conserve energy on Mm -hmm. um i mean unfortunately part of that is like being social after shows and stuff like that which is just as much as part of the experience Gosh, as, man, you know, the actual performing is. Isn't that true? Uh, that's a really great observation because, like, so much of the, you know, the practical reality of, we'll call it show business. Let's just call it show business. <laughs> <laughs> you know, making comedy. Why not? You know this show business that we do. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's like people who do plays or make movies or whatever. So much of it is, like, the after party, you know, I, I was, um, I directed this episode of Star Trek Continues, like the most awesome Star Trek fan film ever made. And, um, <laughs> and, um, but like, uh, the producer, Vic Mignogna, who also plays Kirk, who's like this really awesome guy. Oh, cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah. He, um, like he likes to go out when we rap every day and we shoot like long, you know, 10 really full uh long days but Vic just where do you guys shoot in uh we shoot the show in Kingsland Georgia which is right off of I-95 almost to Jacksonville Florida so if you're ever driving to Orlando and you like you know find your way (laughs) through Kingsland there's a there's a full replica of these CBS soundstage Star Trek set it's just two minutes from the interstate (laughs) I haven't watched the enti- I haven't watched the entire episode but I like checked it out and it looks really cool like it's re- the the recreation of all of the um style and everything is really awesome it's it's ridiculous that the the idea behind it is that um you know Star Trek was canceled after 3 seasons but it's famously you know from Kirk's opening monologue you know it says a 5 year mission 5 year mission right yeah so it's like built into the show that there would be 5 seasons maybe you could say and so what the vision of Star Trek continues is it just picks up right there in season 4 and we keep going so you know if you shoot even if you shot 2 episodes a year which is about 
you know, what fan films could do. You know, you'd still, you can make Star Trek episodes forever. And, um, but that's the idea. And it's like museum quality recreation. Like when we cast extras, it's so cool. Like you, you have to get people who physically are the type of people that would have been extras in LA in the late sixties, you know? Right. That's really funny. I wouldn't have even thought about that as part of the challenge. I remember when Leatherheads was filming in Greenville, uh-huh. they were they did a bunch of casting notices, and they were specifically looking for people who had a look of that period, I think. Right, right. And with this, you know, with Star Trek Continues, the, um, the look, is, you know, for, for dudes, you know, the look is very sturdy. It's, like, slim but not skinny. It's, it's like... Um, you know, tightly cropped hair, but not too tightly cropped. You know, it's like, it's, it's like, it would be like people that be extras on Mad Men, maybe, you know, that kind of look. I could see that. Yeah. But there are plenty of people. I've been watching the sixth season of, um, and it is, I can only do so much at a time. It's so like dark and gets inside of me it's uh it's not a winter show i don't think i think it's a show that's supposed to be watched in the summer <laughs> that's a that's a really interesting observation i think i would agree with you on that because like um we i remember my wife emily and i watching the uh, the first or the fifth season and we were so happy for don draper we're like this yeah. is cool and we we're like you know too bad you know the brit you know, what happened to him? No spoilers yeah, or anything. Yeah. But, but we're um, like, lame. but Don's making a comeback. You know, he's getting his, his shit together. And then suddenly it's right. like, no, sorry. This it's, is mad. It's, it's, it's same old, same old shit, just a different Don. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was going to tell you, you can scan the internets and find some Star Trek fan films where... They don't pay as much attention to detail as Star Trek continues to. Sure, that makes sense. One of the dead giveaways are the dudes that, like, you know, it'll be like a decent Kirk and maybe an okay Spock, and then, like, it's like some fat guy with a mullet and tinted glasses (laughs) is walking down the hall behind them. You know, the corridor. Just like, oh, oh my God. That's not... That sounds... similar to like what the guys from improvised star trek do it's like uh-huh. they they do a thing that's not necessarily unique in that it is kind of like fan fiction but it's all improvised fan fiction right um and they created their own characters so I, yeah i feel similarly oh, in that like they're just doing what they do the best of the people who may tried to do something similar to that yeah yeah that's oh my gosh i really want to come to chicago and and see that live i i've not yet listened to the podcast but it's on the list you got to. it's so good well i mean i don't know when my episode will be released but you definitely have to listen to those of course and i i'm trying to figure out a way i'm assistant directing the third episode of star trek in a couple weeks in georgia and um the um I'm trying to figure out a way that I can just pass it around to the cast. Maybe just a community oh, yeah. we could all listen that to. That would it. be so cool. That would be really oh. awesome. They have um like business cards, but I I mean 
that would be something that they would have. Dude, uh, maybe know, I could like send you some or something like that. Mary Beth, I've got to get, I'll get the guys, I'll get like Chris Dewan and Grant Imahara and Vic and Todd. I mean, I'll get them to do like a video, like promo for you guys. I'll, I'll just, that would be really cool. I'm sure they would dig that. I mean, like Chris Dewan's dad was the real Scotty. I mean, that would be oh, so Oh, really? Great. Cool. Yeah. If, if he's just like, that's awesome. Hey, I'm Chris Dewan and you should go see Improvised Star Trek in Chicago, you know. That's yeah. awesome. No, yeah, they'll, they'll I'm, totally I'm sure they would dig that. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Um, that's uh, that's awesome. I, I definitely wanted to talk to you about that project a little, um, so I'm glad it came up. Sure. Uh, my guest today is Chris White. Um, he is a dear friend of mine from my college days. <laughs> But that, that sounds like uh, we went to college together, and we really didn't go to college together. Yeah, I was going to say, we went to the same college, but at different times. Right. And I was like, I was like the guy that just couldn't get on with his life and kept hanging out at the college <laughs> for years and years, yep. trying, to, trying to meet yep. girls. That's, that was kind of... <laughs> <you know. laughs> Uh, and then, and then you, uh, married a woman who went to Bob Jones. Yes, I did. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I thought I was going to straighten her out, but, or, uh, I thought she was going to straighten me out, but that is not the case. <laughs> the opposite is probably no, I had to deal what with, has happened. I had to deal with all the post BJ rebellion that was all taken out on me. <laughs> That's a real thing. Sure. That's definitely a real thing. Sure. Um, I was happy yeah, to I absorb all that. I remember you saying... I was, you're happy to what? Absorb all the post-BJ rebellion. Absorbed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember you saying in an email to me once uh, something to the effect... I asked you, like, what you're going to do once the show that we were working on was over or something like that uh-huh. and you were like I'm gonna keep doing what I've done since I graduated from Furman and pray to my bust of Rhett Bryson for <laughs> to matter again or something like that <laughs> <laughs> yes um, I think and it we- was like this it was this great blend of like melancholy and honesty and like jokiness uh, it got me we share the, uh, Rep Bryson as kind of a mentor and friend that we... This, yeah, absolutely. This is, this, is the, this guy who's the uh, scenic designer at Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina, and he's been there a long time. I mean, long enough to have taught me, like, well into his prime. I mean, he'd been there a long time when I went to school there in the late yeah, 80s, right, early 90s. Yeah, right, exactly. And then he was there when you... And, and that's why I was doing a play. He was directing... This terrific collection of David Ives short plays that, um, mm-hmm. and I was happened to be living in town at the time. He's like, "Hey, come act," and that's how you and I met, was through Rhett. But Rhett's always been kind of a uh, inspirational, uh, aspirational person in my life. Yeah, I I, I remember being very uh, intrigued by the like relationship and friendship that you still had with him. Uh-huh. Uh and I feel like I I still have that. Um 
With Rhett for sure, but more so with uh, Jay Oni. I keep in touch with Jay Oni. Oh, right, uh, right. Constantly. Right. Uh, so it's it's really cool. I feel like I understand that from from the other side now. Because, I mean, Jay has, like, visited Chicago since I lived here. Uh, he and Carol came up, and we went to see shows together, and, like, I did some Chicago touristy things with them. Like, you know, this is a professor that I had in college who is... Oh, they're old enough to be my parents, and I'm still just like, let's, you know, go out to dinner and catch up and have beers, and it was great. You know, I think people that maybe, you know, you and I both grew up in relatively small towns in South Carolina, and yeah. people who didn't grow up in that kind of background, it, it was awesome, by the way. I'm not complaining about that at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't really either. But there's there's, like, certain people that you encounter, and fortunately for us, we met them in college, I'm sure you met people in high school and governor's school, but um, you, you yeah. come across grown-ups who it's not like they're better than your parents or more loving or more <laughs> awesome. They're just like new people that you meet, and they, they understand and have experienced life in maybe a different way than you grew up with, and they kind of yeah. paint like a picture, like, you know, your life could be this way. The, the world could work this way. And that yeah. is so important for people that kind of, you know, that literally grew up in in places like we did where mm-hmm. we just we didn't have as much of that you know growing up then yeah it's like even people that grew yeah, up in I, chicago or los angeles or new york or more cosmopolitan places um that's why i think some of these people mean so much to us is because hmm. they 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 kind of filled in a gap that wasn't being filled really for us yeah I, I totally, totally agree with that, and, and I don't know if I've ever really thought about it like that before, mm-hmm. but uh, I think that is super accurate. It's, it's yeah, it's really nice to have people who you know know more than you do, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and are, you know, like you said, coming to it from a different uh, place than maybe the way you were raised. I, I, I remember really distinctively... Uh, coming back to campus from having lunch with Jay uh, one day my senior year, I think. Um, And uh, I said something to him about, uh, you know, Jay being a a relatively liberal uh, professor at a conservative university. I said something to him about my parents both being uh, relatively conservative Republicans. And he was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I mean, I never really, you know, I, I, I have my own, uh, you know, political leanings, but yeah, you know, they were, they're died in the wool Republicans and he was literally shocked. <laughs> yeah. What are you thinking, man? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, and, and I think uh, it was also for me, it was, it was more even than, you know, rethinking, politics or even socialization it was like it was like there were people we encountered at Furman that painted a picture of a uh, professional life or or just this is actually how this works this is how this is done by people who practice it professionally it, it yeah yeah and I didn't even I don't even think I think it was just like an example to me of how differently he like thought I grew up uh-huh. Than I yeah. did, you know. And I think people still sometimes are surprised by that in Chicago too, because um, yeah, I mean it is pretty. It's relatively unique to be someone 
uh, like you said, in show business, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who grew up in a small town like this. Uh, but yeah, I totally agree with you that seeing artists as adults and practicing the things that I was passionate about but never really had a frame of reference for was really, really important to my time in college and is probably I still cite um you know Furman Theater and Jay and Rhett as reasons that I'm still doing it now absolutely there's no there's no way I wouldn't were it not for them absolutely I I mean I uh I tell my kids I have kids and and um and three and one is about to is a junior in high school and is about to go to college herself and I'm just like, you know, man, all I think about from college, like if I just reflect on my time in college, I I just think about a bunch of great conversations with really close friends and just <laughs> really aspirational like art and yeah. I mean, I got a degree. I got a uh, a BA in drama from Furman University. Uh It's, you know, I checked that box. I've gone out into my life with that box checked. But the thing I remember the most is just great conversation, developing taste, you know, deciding. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And even even you were pretty, like, uh, uh influential for me for developing my own taste because you introduced me to like film spotting and <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of like film stuff that I didn't really know about before and I think I became way more into like film and critiquing film as opposed to just watching film uh-huh. uh def- that was definitely a contributor um well, I and think, that was the first podcast I listened to, so this is probably coming full circle to some extent. Yeah, those those guys are amazing, and they keep doing it, and they keep doing it like exceptionally well. That, that, that's yeah. I I went to the year in wrap up this year at uh, a venue in Chicago, and it was a lot of fun. Oh my gosh! Well, the thing that I like best about film spotting is that. You never feel like you're listening to some pretentious douchebags talk about film. Like, yes. I hate that. Yeah. Like, I hate pretentious <laughs> douchebags, like, talking about film, like, way over your head. And you can just tell they're, uh, they're like, um, getting so so much self-satisfaction. It's almost like uh, yeah. a friend of mine who's also an improv actor, Ben Burris, he recently said, yeah, those people talk. He wasn't talking I, about I think spotting. I've met Ben before. Oh, my gosh. He's a great guy. But he... Um, yeah. He was. Ta- we were talking about somebody. He goes, "Yeah, that guy talks about film like he made the films, instead of." It's <laughs> <laughs> like that's it. It's like if you can talk that's about great. a movie like like you're a fan and you you're figuring it out and you're appreciating it, then we will talk. Yeah. But if you're talking about yeah. a movie and you're kind of accessing the genius of the filmmaker, <laughs> like for yourself. Then you are a douchebag. That is not going to work in our conversation. <laughs> yeah, they seem they're very down to earth. I've I've had a few conversations with Adam. I thought about trying to get him to do the show just because I think it would be fun. Uh huh. Do it. Uh, yeah, Adam. So I guess this do MBS. Like, hey, remember? Yeah. Come on, Adam. Jeez. Uh, I haven't talked to him about it yet. It's just a thought that I had because I think it would be um, it would help me branch out from uh, who what improvisers do I know. 
<laughs> well, and it, I think it would help him too. It might just give him a little, you know, fresh, fresh perspective on what he does. I think that could be really cool. So. Yeah, yeah. Come on, I'll Adam. definitely. I'll shoot him an email or something like that. Yeah, I definitely. think it'd be fun. Uh, cool. Well, uh, this has been great and I didn't want to interrupt it and I feel like we're just catching up but it's still fun times um but Chris wants to talk about power ballads <laughs> I, we and were I just would... talking about developing taste and how important yeah, that is and, that was, <laughs> and, that and now like, it's like hey enough of that <laughs> now let's talk about guilty pleasures <laughs> I, I don't know man the more aspirational I am for the 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 films that I make and like aspirational for my art and like struggling to make great things I gotta say the more the more like a a a very Manilow song like comforts me (laughs) I don't know why that is I think that's great. I what do you think was <laughs> I I mean I know I know that you've loved power ballads for a long time. <laughs> um what what do you think was the origin of your love for power ballads? Ooh, that's a good that's a good question. I think I think it was the uh I got to say I think it was the love theme from Superman. Okay. <laughs> when I saw that movie as a kid, there's this really awkward I think it's a little over the top. And it, first of all, Superman the movie directed by Richard Donner. I think it's 1970. I've actually seen it. Uh, my sketch group, the Nerdalogs, did a riff tracks esque show <laughs> where uh-huh. we wrote a script of jokes and did like a movie interruption of it. Oh, uh, that's perfect. Um, well, then you it know was, it was the perfect movie, but it was kind of long, and we had to see it so many times. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> Most uh, uh, so you're thinking you're speak the Lois Lane where he takes Lois Lane on the um, flight or whatever. Yes, can you read my mind? And if yeah, you- can you read my mind? <laughs> God, it's so bad. If you want like a picture of like the most excessive, you know, people think of the '70s and they're like ERA and women coming into their own and you know. Yeah. I am woman, hear me roar. It's like, no, man. It's can you read my mind, Superman? That's where we're I am so, so glad you brought up that scene. God, we bash that she- Every time that scene came around in the movie, we'd be like, well, here we go. Because like, <laughs> imagine watching that movie like four or five times over the course of two weeks. It's like a two and a half hour movie. Yeah, so, like, every few days we watched that movie again, like, it was a lot. I, I never want to watch it again. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's fair to say that many film critics will agree that it's kind of like a, a minor American film classic, Superman the movie. Yes. It was directed yeah. by Richard Donner, who went on to do the Lethal Weapon movies and some other um, great work, but it was... Especially like the Superman growing up in Kansas stuff is really beautiful and like it is, it really is, yeah. You know, and and Christopher Reeve is so well cast and so good, absolutely, in the role. Um, so, but it came around when I was a kid and I had just seen Star Wars and 
Mm-hmm. And it was like the first superhero. Like I'm, I'm not crazy about superhero movies now as much as I was <laughs> then. There were few and far between. Guardians of the Galaxy looks great. Yeah. <laughs> Marlon Brando. I'm really excited about Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh well, oh well, yeah, yeah. Okay, I will see that. But um, <laughs> okay, I was just uh, semi calling you out, uh, calling you on your bluff. Okay. <laughs> but I think I think that particular can you read my mind? Um, it's John yeah. Williams composed the music. And there's a really horrible, like, spoken word. Like, she goes on and on. If you look up the um, the soundtrack, um, the re-released and remastered soundtrack to Superman the movie, there's a really <laughs> long thing where they, apparently they locked Margot Kidder in a room and, like, made her, like, you are reading these words, okay? It's part of oh your contract. Oh, my gosh. You know, so it's, uh, but I think as a kid that kind of, in the movie, that was like a moment in the movie. I understand how movies are structured more now, but I think that was a movie where the audience is supposed to relax and kind of be happy for a moment before the peril of the third act happens. So, I- Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, it needed something to lighten it up a little. Right. We've like established we've got Superman now. We've established that he's a good guy and he's going to solve every problem. And we're kind of taking that moment to just kind of enjoy that, our, our security in that. And then that song happens. And so I think probably my power ballad, my guilty pleasure, like yeah, appreciating, <laughs> that's what it is. It's like, Mary Beth, have I ever told you like my theory, like I, uh, my theory is that that actual life, like if you're ever feeling happy or comfortable or just like you're going through your life and like, I love my life. It's like, oh, no, you're not living your life yet. Something's going to happen. Oh, really? Yeah. That's like, <laughs> it's like, don't I'm not saying like I'm not. Oh, it's um, it's like from Slings and Arrows. Uh, the greatest things happen right before the thread breaks. Yes, exactly. So if everything's like really awesome, you're you're about to go through some hell or a challenge or yeah. like some some upheaval. So yeah, yeah. So that's like I think power ballads are to me they're like the moment of just utter simplicity. Nothing's complicated at all. A great power ballad to me is is like the artist is just saying some stupid thing, just declaring himself or herself. Just yeah. saying, like, uh, you know, they're always saying they love somebody unconditionally and forever, right? I love that. I love that as as a as summary of what it is. I had a thought today um, before we uh, before you called that was power ballads are kind of like the musical theater of the music world. <laughs> Like, and, and that might be like a weird thing to say because, you know, it's all music, but like musical theater is to theater as power ballads are to music. Exactly. Like, when, when words can't express it anymore and it has to become a song. Yes. Yes. And, and I think yeah. what's in, expressed by most of them, the really good ones is it's just kind of this, um, you're, it's the least cynical thing that, that you can ever you know, seeing or say or feel. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. I kind of made a list of, like, my top five power ballads, and I connected them to movies, like, power ballads that connect to movies because I'm a filmmaker. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. So my number five power ballad is um, the Aerosmith song, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. 
I, I knew that had to be on your list. <laughs> it's from Armageddon, of course, the 1988, yes. and, and I think it's eligible for the Criterion Collection if it's not in the Criterion Collection. I think it may be in the Criterion Collection, actually. Right, because Michael Bay is a Criterion director. So Exactly. <laughs> but uh, what I was going <laughs> to... Obviously. As he should be. He's the epitome of the American filmmaker. But there's something, like if you hear Steven Tyler say, I don't want to miss a thing, you have to consciously ignore the fact that he like spent like 30 years in a drug-induced fog. <laughs> like, I just, there's something really sincere and sweet about Steven Tyler bellowing to us that he doesn't want to miss anything about this one particular girl. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's such a, that's such a, like, pessimistic way of looking at such a optimistic song. <laughs> I like it a lot. <laughs> But and, and, and two, the girl in the song, the thing that makes this really twisted and actually more entertaining is the girl in the movie is his daughter, right? It's like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Super weird. we all know those Aerosmith videos where uh, Steven Tyler sort of yeah. threw out his, his young daughter. It's kind of... Yeah. What is it? Um, uh, ba- What's the name of that song? Isn't it the one that's like, baby? Yes. Yeah. Baby. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy. Crazy That's rhymes yeah. with baby. I think the most important, uh, the most epic power ballad ever has to be R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet. <laughs> and I say that acknowledging that I believe I can fly is, I would consider it's that also a, a power ballad. I, I would consider that. I, I hate that song. Like, do you? Yeah, I hate that song. It like does nothing to my self-esteem except lower it. <laughs> it's like a song that, that reminds me that I can't do everything I want to do in my life. <laughs> but I know it's very meaningful oh, for certain people. Oh, but just people. like by the by the theme of it being like I, I believe I can do this, but I'm not necessarily able to. I mean, I just totally call bullshit on the whole idea. I mean, like, I wanted to be a college football player, Mary Beth. I believed <laughs> it could happen. What did, did you, were you a high school football player? I, I, I started to be, and then there was, uh, it's a long story, but no, I didn't finish up being a high school football player. But okay. When I was in eighth grade... And right to listen to songs like I Believe I Can Fly by R. Kelly. Yeah. It, that would have been nonsense. I mean, there was no way. My, right. Physically, I'm, I tapped out at ten, uh, five oh. foot ten and a half inches. I never could have been that. Yeah. I could have believed so in again, it. again, you're just looking at an optimistic song in a pessimistic way. <laughs> this is like, I Believe I Can Fly to You. I feel like you're equating it to like sitting on your dad's lap and him saying you can be anything you want to be. Yeah, except one, I wouldn't have been sitting on my dad's lap. And two, he would have said, you cannot be anything you want to be. <laughs> you would have been sitting smartly next to him. <laughs> said, you want to major in drama? Okay. No, that's unfair. My dad was very... 
supportive of me majoring in drama, but... But I'm just saying that I believe I can fly. I think R's master, you know, most masterful thing he's ever created is trapped in the closet. And I think I think by the time you get to like, if you sit and you get to like in the 30s or 40s, like episode 43 or something. I mean, I think that's a huge accomplishment. Um, for for an I, audience I have member. never seen. I've only seen the first few chapters. I haven't seen very much of it at all. It's it's um on one level it's very inspiring and like to a creative person like a filmmaker you're like God, he's he's doing it he's keeping the story going he's like <laughs> he keeps surprising me he keeps going places he keeps <laughs> he keeps me engaged with this monotonous horrible melody that's like but on the other hand it's like wow that's the definition of being creatively stunted like break out of it stop 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 R, stop. You gotta quit making these things. Move on. Yeah, I, uh, that's, I, that's so funny. I, that's so ridiculous. I've heard his, uh, I have friends who went to see him last year, uh, at one of the big Chicago music festivals, like, uh, I can't remember what he headlined for, either Lollapalooza or Pitchfork or something like that. Um, R. Kelly was at Pitchfork? That's great. Yes, I, maybe not. I don't know. He did some kind of major. Yeah. He headlined at a major music uh, festival in Chicago. And I had a lot of friends who went last year, and they said it was one of the best live shows they'd ever seen. But just because, like, he performs the entire time. Like, even if, like, he'll be out on stage and finish a song, and then. Instead of just like talking to the audience and then starting another song, in between every song, he just sings all of his thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> like, he'll be like, Can someone be- from backstage bring me a bottle of water? I'm very parched. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is genius. Right? So it just makes for this completely unique uh, performance experience because he just, like, doesn't stop. He basically performs the entire time oh and he gosh. just, like, sings his internal monologue. Even sometimes he'll just, like, keep singing his internal monologue instead of starting a song. Like, I I have That's multiple sad. friends who are very passionate about r kelly and his uh someone actually told me that if they did the podcast they would talk about r kelly (laughs) look hats off to the man he's a showman i mean yeah that makes me want to see him live in concert i mean yeah i've heard it's great and jaw drop amazement you know watching that happen I have a lot of sweat on my brow can someone bring me a towel like (laughs) literally and no sense of irony. He's not, like, making a joke at no, his own expense. No, He's like not at all. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's great. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think so, too. Uh, what's number four? Okay, this is stepping... This is this is the weird one I threw in. Um, Rhapsody on a theme of Paganini by Sergei Rachmaninoff. Okay. From the 1980 film, also starring Christopher Reeve, Somewhere in Time... If, if you have ever seen the brilliantly romantic 
Somewhere in Time and science fiction movie. It's a time travel movie where Christopher Reeve, he, he sees a picture of Jane Seymour in this old hotel. He's a playwright, and he's trying to get inspiration. So he goes to this old, old hotel for the weekend. You know, I'm going to write. You know, and he sees this picture of this woman from the 20s. And he's like, oh my gosh, she's like amazing. And so he does, he figures out a way to go back in time. He, he kind of, through self-hypnosis, he goes back in time. He finds her. He falls in love with her. She falls in love with him. And it's like perfect. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh wow. Like, I'm crazy about time travel movies, first of all. But Yeah, I, I know that you like, oh gosh. Oh, I guess that's not time travel. But I, I know that you're a fan of, like, uh, Purple Rose of Cairo. Yeah, well, yeah, like that's the, kind of a romantic of, fantasy. Like, what reality is and stuff yeah. like that. But um, uh, they use this brilliant Rachmaninoff, brilliantly romantic. Like, even the photography in that movie is, like, the whole thing is, like, this big, indulgent, but beautiful... Um, it's more of a 70s movie really than an 80s movie. I guess it was shot in 79 and released in 1980, but it was a film that came out and did very little box office, but it's a film that like became a hit on, on home video. So I highly, yeah, I highly recommend somewhere in time, but that's kind of a, it's kind of a cheat. That's not really a power ballad, but (laughs) yeah, when you said, oh yeah, definitely think of, look, I think of power ballads are ballads that have their power in making you stop thinking. Okay, that's part of the power of a ballad, a power ballad. You stop thinking, (laughs) you turn off every cynical part of your person, and you just indulge in the music and the lyric and the song, and you just kind of... You kind of fully accept it, and you are with it. So to me, that's the power in a power ballad. You could argue that a power ballad must have, you know, power chords played on electric guitar. I see that. You right. must. You must. It must be a band that's usually hard rocking, and they they um, let up, let just one track on the, you know, track four on side A of the album is like a just letting their hair down and singing an ode right, to right, one right. girl. But um, to me, the the power in a power, power ballad is making me turn off everything in me that says, that's stupid. <laughs> you know, no. I, I like that. And, and I, you know, I like that as a definition, too. And to your idea about it being musical theater, to me, one of my biggest hang-ups, the things that I don't like about musical theater is if I, if I go to a musical and I never turn off that part of my brain that says, this is all stupid... Like if I go to see a, a musical and it and it just in I give over to it, I let myself go, uh-huh. then I'm like, I love it. But if you just said, Do you like musicals? I'd be kinda like, eh no. But then if you said, yeah. Did you did you like next to normal? I'd be like, Oh my gosh, uh, best experience in I, I haven't I've never seen next to normal and I've heard the best things about it. It's 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 terrific. Now, I saw a production of it, um, a regional uh, production of it at um, Trust's Theater in Columbia, South Carolina, and mm-hmm. utterly, like, reduced to weeping. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what I've heard, that it's it's one of those that you won't leave the show without a without weeping. <laughs> yeah. There's a, great, there's a great twist in it early, and then there's a great... It just keeps building into this... Uh, it's like the... It's a terrific, a terrifically empathetic play. Like it really helps you understand um, a character in a way that maybe you wouldn't. That situation. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. I, I, it was in this, it was playing in the suburbs for a while, and I was gonna try to get tickets, but it's the suburbs. <laughs> it would have been a whole thing. Hello, MBSing listeners. I wanted to do something a little different in this episode, uh, but may continue doing it if there's a little bit of participation from here on out. On Monday's episode of the fellow uh, Nerdalogs produced podcast, the Nerdalogcast, I threw out that this episode was going to be about power ballads and suggested that anyone who was listening to that who wanted to could call in to the Nerdalogs podcast hotline, if you will, and leave us a voicemail about what their favorite power ballad was. Uh, that number, for everyone's reference, is 405-JAW-NERD, J-A-W-N-E-R-D. I will refrain from making any Rastafarian jokes that have already been made on the Nerdalogcast. Lots, and uh, Talking Games with Tim McClayton, for that matter. Uh, so, yeah, if you have anything that you want to say about the show, uh, please feel free to let me know. Uh, call in to the 405 Jaw Nerd if there's something that you want to address about a past episode, if you just want to say hello and tell me that the show is great. Always appreciate those messages. Just, you know, pat my back and I'll put your back patting into a future episode of MBSing. Uh, so that got less weird than it could have. Um, Anyway, fellow Nerdalogs member Eric Garneau heard me talk about that on the Nerdalogcast, probably while he was editing it, uh, and called uh, the voicemail line and then emailed me the voicemail because he knows how to do all that anyway. Uh, and he talks about his favorite uh, power ballad and how much he is invested in um plugging the band extreme because he sees them as one of the best bands of the 80s and relatively overlooked so without too much further ado oh also eric wanted me to add that he almost called back and left another voicemail because he needed to talk about how 18 in life by skid row uh, was also a, uh, uh, what's it, runner-up, uh, honorable mention when answering his, uh, when he answers the question of what his favorite power ballad is. Anyway, without further ado, here is Eric, and then we will go back to my interview with Chris White. Hey, Mary Beth. This is Eric. Uh, I heard on the Nerdalogcast that you were doing an episode about power ballads. You probably know that this is a special area of interest of mine as I love 80s music. Um, so you asked for favorites. This is really tough. Uh, and what I want to do is throw out a song by the band Extreme, uh, which is, again, tough because, like, everyone knows Extreme because of two of their ballads, Wholehearted and, uh, of course, More Than Words. Uh, I want to mention a third one which is a uh, song for love. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because Extreme is so much more than those two ballads. Like, they are, to me, the best hair band of the 80s, bar none. Like, 
bordering on genius for three albums. Like, if you ever have 20 minutes and want me to talk about why the first three extreme albums are brilliant, I will happily do that. And Song for Love kind of shows that the band can rock. Like, even though it's a ballad, it has more power than the other two. There's some crazy solos from Nuno Betancourt. Gary Sharon gets way high in the screeches with his vocals. It's just an awesome, well-put-together Yeah, but um, let me, I, I would say my my number three power ballad from movies is one I recently rediscovered because I, th I felt like my list of power ballads needed to have the voice of Peter Cetera in it, <laughs> who sang all the, the Chicago power ballads in the 80s at least. Uh -huh. And um, I found this movie that I remember really liking when, I, when it was released in 1989, and I still kind of like it. Um, it's not great, but it's a nice little screenplay. But the movie is called Chances Are, and it stars young, pre-rehabilitated -re Robert Downey Jr. And oh, interesting. S Sybil Shepard. And it's, it's kind of another time travel thing. It's more like, a, like Heaven Can Wait. It's like a guy dies... But he just won't have it. Like, he goes to heaven, and they're like, okay, you got to move on. He's like, no, no, I'm not having this. i got to go back and uh, be with this woman I love. And um, so the movie's called Chances Are, but the song is called After All by Cher and Peter Cetera. And it's a duet. Um, 1989 would be when that song was out. But to me... I can't me, think of what that sounds like, but I'm sure I've heard it before. <laughs> Yes, yeah, I've definitely heard that before. I'm hoping that you you, you should definitely add in snippets of these songs, you know. Yeah, to, yeah, I'll do, I'm going to try for sure. But to me, that song makes me turn all cynicism off and just kind of like, oh, that would be awesome. Like if I died... And, like, I could come back as, like, this young guy and fall in love with Emily again. And then I'd have to convince her that I was really Chris. And it was cool that she could love me again. You know, that's... I don't even have to have a drink in my hand to go for that. You know, to fall that's for awesome. that. That's awesome. I love it. I feel like... Uh, I feel like both of these... Uh, both Somewhere in Time and Chances Are seem like precursors to, like all of Rachel McAdams movies <laughs> yes. which I, which I will be like adamantly like opposed to seeing like I, no yeah. no no Rachel McAdams other than Slings and Arrows of course but like no I know I know I still have such a soft spot for her even though she has the worst uh she's just in all of these Hey, like she, Nicholas Sparks esque things. Uh, she's trying to have a career, you know. Let's let's let her have a career. Yeah, you can't you can't totally blame Beautiful her. Beautiful girl, she's she's very talented. People seem to to like her. I give her, you know, have your career. I just I don't want to I don't want to have to go to that movie though. 
<laughs> and you know what? We don't have to. Right, we don't. <laughs> we live in America. We don't have to see Rachel uh, McAdams. I liked movies. her in um, Midnight in Paris. Uh, she was a little oh, that's shrill, right. but, but she, she was, was so she mean. Was good. Like she was, she was horrible yeah. to Owen. You know, it's like yeah, she was very shrill. Yeah, and and um, well, we can we can talk about Woody's women in another podcast, uh, but, but yes, she was kind of, yeah, that is a completely different topic. She was kind of on the darker end of Woody's women. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, I saw um, I saw Annie Hall for the first time at your house, like my close um, to the end of college, I think. <laughs> Well, I am glad you saw the movie at my house. I am not glad that it took you to the end of college to see Annie Hall. Listen, I, I I did say that you were a factor in my actually having film, tasted film. <laughs> well, that's... Yeah, that movie is just... You know, my rainy day movie, like if it's just kind of rainy and glum and I'm not doing anything, which is rare, but... If I'm just hanging out, my rainy day movie is Woody Allen's Manhattan. That's the one that just popped yeah, in. Yeah, I just like saw Manhattan for the first time recently, too, actually. Whoopsie. <laughs> See, I get to still like Woody Allen because, like, I knew him before all the, all the various controversies. Yeah, I don't know how to feel. I don't know how to feel. I haven't read much about it, and I think it's partially just because I want to... Be a little ignorant about it, which is probably a horrible, horrible way to address it. But whatever, I don't know. We'll see. I I really empathize with that. I mean, I guess you know my feeling on it is I don't know really anything. Like I know what this person says and this person says, but I just don't know. So I I guess that's how I indulge my ignorance about it as I say well you know yeah. honestly I don't know and the thing I yeah. do know is that Annie Hall is a brilliant comedy <laughs> right because I've seen it I've right. been with it like 50 times I know it's awesome so I and, and not to like not to like make light of any of that situation but it's kind of like I, I, I see it similar to things like, um, uh, you know, when people say they're not going to support Chick-fil-A anymore because of their stance on the, uh, you know, supporting anti-gay organizations and things like that. Um, you know, a, a, a possible counter argument is, well, yeah, but there are probably plenty of companies that... Uh, you know, give money to things that you don't agree with that you don't know about. So I think it's probably a similar thing. There are probably plenty of people who make good art who aren't good people that just those things don't come to light. But, you know, it, it goes back to the ignorance, I think, of... Yeah. of uh, but, Mary Beth, I would say this, know. too, because in, especially in regards to things like Chick-fil-A, it's like... And maybe this applies to Woody Allen, too. Like, we're all, like, about, like, people, especially with the Internet, and we're all so socially, quote-unquote, socially connected through the Internet. We're all about, right. like, these... <laughs> quote-unquote is a good way to put know, it. Um, corporate boycotts or, 
I'm taking a stand, you know, and I'm I'm not going to go eat Chick-fil-A sandwiches or anything. I mean, okay, that's fine. I you know, I respect that. I'm I'm more respectful of like people who like actually people who actually in their lives and in their personal interactions with people are not bigots. You know, yeah, like, like, yeah, I totally somebody, agree with that. Somebody like uh, our grandparents' generation or something that don't really quite understand like gay people being gay. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they're like nice to gay people and they're respectful and they're like, you know, that's something like I don't quite understand, but I think they should be able to get married or something. You know, like right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to know how you are with people just one on one. Because it's yeah. easy to abstractly protest. Like, I yeah. protest all of this. It's really hard to, like, stand and protest or better support of, like, your neighbor, your friends. Like, or yeah, somebody that's a really, for. really good point and good way to look at it. Because, like, I remember, like, I went to a meeting with somebody. I think it was a theater or something. I was going to a meeting and I was walking in with a Chick-fil-A cup. Because I'd gone to Chick-fil-A because, like, Chick-fil-A yeah. is the best freaking chicken in the it's world. It's delicious. Boycotted yeah. or not. And I remember, I like, crap, i got to get rid of my Chick-fil-A cup because these people are going to be offended by that. And that's, <laughs> oh, no. that's, that's stupid, man. That's so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. There's, there's merit to that. And I, I totally agree that I think the most important thing is uh what how is you know the actual footwork that you're doing leg work in in terms of accepting people and not being a bad person just because even other people you, do things even if you agree with somebody uh politic or disagree with somebody politically you know like are, do you do they still get invited to your house for dinner do you still right. can you laugh and joke with them and share a beer with them or are you like yeah, this right. douchebag who's like, I don't want to hear that. They're not coming to my party, you know? Right. That's what's wrong with politics, frankly. It's like nobody wants to invite anybody over to their house anymore. It's all like, oh, you're opposed to that? Well, fuck you. Yeah, I I totally relate to that. I, and I agree with you. Um, and I like that as a, uh, a, a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think by the time I had hit like three different Woody Allen movies referenced in the same conversation, I think we had to uh, <laughs> talk about it at least a little bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, can I tell you about like looking for Bill Murray? Uh, I would love to hear about looking for Bill Murray, and I would love for you to tell podcast listeners about looking for bill murray well uh uh, my wife and i emily we make uh movies we make like a a a feature film a year we have for the last three years anyway and we just wrapped a movie that we shot in south carolina called um cinema purgatorio that's the name of the film and it kind of grew out of us together writing a film that was kind of that was making fun of us and a lot of oh, interesting. Well, we were we started to tell a bunch of stories and write a bunch of stories, making fun of people like pretentious d bag people we'd met like at film festivals and different things. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then we were like, well, we're just venting right now. And then we we're like, the people, the same people who uh, talk about movies as though they made them. <laughs> yeah, but it, you know, it's it's kind of bad in the uh, where we live. Like, there's a lot of people that talk about being filmmakers and they don't really understand what that means and that's not really what they are you know they're kind of right recreation i I think it's awesome to just kind of have a hobby and go do your hobby but you know we we have professional ambitions and artistic ambitions for our work and so we we wind up kind of you guys are are essentially full-time filmmakers correct yeah we don't I mean, we, we don't have day jobs, but, I mean, we do some right. freelance stuff. But our, our focus right now is on, um, you know, making our film a year and making our investors their money back. Like, Cinema Purgatorio is the first film. The first two features we kickstarted, And then Cinema Purgatorio was a film that um, we actually got, you know, financial, you know, we wrote a business plan and we got investors for. That's cool. That's really cool. But we were um, we were making the non crowdsourced investors, right, right, and um, but we made the film in a in a in an attempt to um, I guess to um, maybe vent a little and maybe like we've been doing this for three years and these are the people that annoy us and frustrate us and we we started looking at ourselves and I think that's a great thing to do when you're doing satire is like point the finger back mm-hmm. at you and say like. In mm-hmm. what way are you a douchebag and off track? And and <laughs> yeah. we started thinking of things that would get us off track. And we were like, hey, you know what? We would be as much of a sucker as anybody if we heard that there was a film fest- festival that Bill Murray was a judge at. We'd, we'd bend over backwards to try to make a film for Bill Murray or try to get his attention or impress him in some way. And that's stupid. We yeah. shouldn't. And Bill Murray, for those who don't know, he lives full time in Charleston, South Carolina. We live in Greenville, South Carolina. It's about two and a half, three hours away. And we were like, if we heard that Bill Murray, there was a shot that Bill Murray was going to see one of our films, short, feature, whatever, we would be there in a heartbeat. And that's kind of sad yeah. for us because Bill Murray yeah. is not going to do anything for us. He's, it's just like right. self-validating. He would just be another person watching the movie. Right. And even if he said, hey, I liked your movie, the best we could hope from that scenario is we'd get a what a, an autograph a picture for facebook which is the autograph right now um <laughs> very true so so it's like what will we get out of that and and what we what we ended up making was we made a film about people like us that are trying to go and win a film festival and get bill murray's attention now when we wrote the screenplay it's this is a bit of a spoiler, but um, they don't see Bill Murray. Bill Murray doesn't even show up. It's kind of a scam. He's not even involved with the film festival. Like waiting for waiting for Bill Murray. Yeah, exactly. Waiting for Bill Murray. But we got into it. And we we're like, you know, what would be really amusing and kind of thrilling is if when they lose and they they lose the festival, they don't meet Bill Murray. That they're just sitting at the bar and Bill Murray walks up. So you know, we wrote this two minute, two page scene. <laughs> with bill and uh that's really cool we started chasing bill we started trying to find bill um because we think (laughs) that bill would give us an hour or two to be in our film and do that scene so if you go to looking for bill murray.com explains everything that's what we're trying to do and so i am literally in charleston south carolina right now looking for bill murray now i'm not looking for him right now i'm talking to you but uh, but your but your wife is looking for Bill Murray right now. Yeah, and we are talking. I'm talking to you 
from a, a house that is like literally a block and a half from a home that Bill owns. We know that's sure. so funny. <laughs> now, we did you what is it like a bed and breakfast? Do you know the people who live there? How are you where you are? We have an investor in our film, uh, a really great guy that kind of has a uh, he, he has a uh, carriage house. It's called like it's the back of a big fancy house that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, I have friends who live in those kind of um, units in Chicago. Well, we are. I'm I'm talking to you from a carriage house. It's like a, a a block and a half from a film we know that Bill owns. In our in our research, <laughs> in our stalking, Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've heard from different people that he um, he has some business partners and uh, here in Charleston, and he flips houses. So the house gotcha. that I'm very close to might be a, a home that he has purchased and has renovated, and, and his uh, group is flipping, you know, trying to sell, yeah. fix up, and sell. Okay. Um, so he, he probably literally doesn't live there. But you know, our our thing is we we're pretty confident because we're not famous <laughs> at yeah. all. Bill doesn't have a manager, doesn't have an agent. Um, he's just, he just hangs out here. He's got some kids here. Um, we, we feel like if we could walk into the place where he was, we would and just go up to him and say, hey, Bill Murray, you know, we were making this movie. It's in the can. It's, it's pretty much finished, but we'd really like you to sit with us in a scene. And we're planning to shoot the scene at a restaurant he owns in Charleston. Oh, cool. Yeah, there's a restaurant called uh, Rutledge Cab Company, which is an amazing restaurant. And um, we've already worked it out with the guys at Rutledge. You know, just some night, come out, spend an hour or two. Um, we have a screenplay. You can actually read the scene with Bill if you go to the website. Um, there's you can. That's really cool. Yeah. So, um, and we know Bill's heard about our movie um, because we got that report from someone who ran into him and who asked him about it. So he's heard about it, and he's not like, you know, opposed to it. He's just, he, he needs to have more information. Actually, right, right, right. Talk to you guys about it, hopefully. So that's... <laughs> that's really cool. And and the movie will be fine without it, but I think, I think it'll be like especially... Uh, uh, especially good for the audience because the scene, and you can read it if you go to Bill Murray or looking for BillMurray.com. Uh, the scene is a great scene where Bill essentially tells the filmmaker people, um, You don't need to meet me to be happy and be successful at what you're doing. And I kind of think, I think right now we all, all of us in show business, such as it is, I think we all need to hear that message. Like, you don't have to. You don't have to be on stage with somebody successful or famous. You don't have to like do improv with Amy Poehler to be successful and happy and creatively fulfilled. I think that's I think that's the trick. I think that's the lie that we we've, mm-hmm. we've been taught to believe like my happiness is tied to my connection to famous people or successful people it's uh, i think this is a moment where we need to be redefining what success is um and we can redefine that so that's really the idea that's behind our movie cinema purgatorio and um that's kind of that's also what's behind our approach to making films 
That's really cool. I love that a lot, and I think that's a sentiment that um, that I can certainly relate to, and that a lot of people that I know and work with in Chicago can relate to too. Um, because Chicago can, uh, I mean, it's this incredibly saturated community uh, with an endless amount of um, opportunities in one way or another, whether it's uh, associated with a theater or something that you start independently that becomes associated with the theater or, you know, something that you do completely independently that uh, doesn't, you know, seemingly have much traction, if you will. But, uh, yeah, the the idea of finding success in a lot of different ways and not necessarily in the most traditional ways is, is a very, very... Uh, poignant thing for uh, a lot of uh, Chicago creatives um you know there's so many people who quote got their start here and you know still claim Chicago as uh as you know where they um where they you know took off but uh you know being a creative person being a performer here is a is an amount of fulfillment and success that we should all be thankful to have. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a much needed perspective, you know? And, and I think, I think, I think too, some of it is, is like, you know, we, we go through these seasons of life and, and there are season and it's a different season for me. I'm, I'm 43 years old and my season of life is different from yours. Um, but I think you go through these seasons of life to figure out you're always figuring out who you are and what you need to be doing and what's rewarding and fulfilling to you. You're constantly yeah. like figuring that out and deciding what that is. And I think to be doing that in Chicago and, and um, <laughs> with really smart, really talented, like some of the most, some of the smartest, most talented comedians in the world are there and to be yeah. able to go out in an evening and just play with them. That's yeah. incredibly It's, it's fucking great, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fucking great. Right. And any, any time that I forget that is, is my fault. You know, it, it's, it's not, it's not a, a fault of, you know, that I'm, uh, for the most part, probably, uh, it's not a fault that I'm like, not uh, you know, cause we all go through crises of like, am I doing enough creatively is what I'm doing progressing me somewhere. But I think in the end, a lot of us forget, including myself, that what we are doing is awesome. You know, we may, you know, vast majority of us may have day jobs. Uh, I happen to really like my day job. Um, you know, would I still have it or could I do things creatively full time, uh, without having to have it? Uh, pro- probably not. I, at least it wouldn't be full time. I might do like part time or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that most people would say absolutely they wouldn't still have their day job if uh, if they didn't have to. But at the same time, we still get to do all this cool shit and, like you said, uh, perform at any given time with with some of the some incredibly talented, incredibly smart people. So it's it's a it's a blessing and a half. It's awesome. Well, and also you get to go and see 
uh, performances. Yes. But, I mean, the community is such that you actually get to see real stuff happening. And um, that's something that we don't get where I live in in South Carolina, in Greenville, South Carolina. It's not like I can go... First of all, let me just say that the fantastic people with Alchemy Comedy are really great. And um, but uh, I've had Jason Underwood on the podcast before. You've had who? Jason Underwood. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's part of that group, and they're yeah terrific. You know, but I, I'm just saying yeah. in general, if it's Thursday night in Greenville, South Carolina, the chances of me being able to go out and be inspired by work that I see. Oh, it's slim to none. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to happen on Netflix more than it's going to happen, you know, at a theater yeah. or at a club, but in Chicago you yeah. can. So, you know, Oh, there's, I could, who knows how many different shows there are on a Thursday night in Chicago. <laughs> right. A very, of varying levels of actual quality, but there are tons of options. And there are some really good ones. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, let me give you my second, my number two. Please. My number two favorite power ballad from a movie. And this, again, you got to go back to my definition of power. <laughs> okay. When I say the name Christopher Cross, most people don't think of anything very powerful. <laughs> <laughs> but in 1981's film film version of Arthur, not the remake, this is the Dudley Moore okay, Arthur. Okay, yeah, yeah, the original. Yeah. Christopher Cross accomplishes so much with a song that is called Arthur's Theme, in parentheses, Best That You Can Do. Now, Best That You Can Do? Yeah. To me, the fact, I think Chris Cross, Christopher Cross, wrote a song... <laughs> called Best That You Can Do. I think Studio Suits said, oh no, that song is called Arthur's Theme. And the negotiated answer was, you know, the negotiated solution was Arthur's Theme, parentheses, Best That You Can Do. But I I still think... And that song is like so stupid because Christopher Cross, he also, um, he he does this thing in this song where he literally talks, there's a line where he talks about the character of Arthur in the song. Really? Yeah, yeah. But the best that you can do, when you get caught between the moon and New York City, he says, the best that you can do is fall in love. And who can argue with that? (laughs) I like it. I like it a lot. And then my uh, my number one power ballad, and this is a power ballad, but I give the most power to Madonna for her 1985 power ballad, Crazy For You, from the film Vision Quest. And, and Vision Quest <laughs> is a film that is not worth seeing in any, for any reason, but Crazy For You, I mean, come on. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, I don't think anyone can argue with topping a list with Madonna. Just period, in general. I mean, you can end any film with Crazy For You by Madonna. Like, you can end any moment in your life just with those electric (laughs) drums starting. (laughs) When you were telling me about your boss, your boss was like, Mary Beth, you seem tired. I don't think you should be this tired. It's like, do, 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 do. And I'm crazy for you. Just like it can start at any moment in your life, and it works. 
you should uh, you should play crazy for you for Bill Murray to convince him to do your movie. Don't think I haven't had the fantasies of karaoke with Bill Murray. <laughs> no, I do have my songs for karaoke with Bill Murray, but you know. All I need, what I first need is I need two minutes in the can for my film. And then, <laughs> then we'll break out the karaoke. Then the, rest of, the rest will come out after that. I do think power ballads make the, some of the best karaoke songs. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of my favorites is um, What's Love Got to Do With It. Oh, yeah. Which I would consider a power ballad. Oh yeah, well look, there there are there are some power ballads like um you know, I almost think Hold On by Wilson Phillips, that's a power ballad. Yeah, 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 I would agree with that. But it's very upbeat. It's not it's 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 more like a girlfriend song as we found out in Bridesmaids, I guess. They use it as yes. mm-hmm. as a best friend song, but I mean it's a power ballad. And I would even say I- I'm gonna be five hundred miles by the Proclaimers is a power ballad. Uh, I like that. Yeah, I like thinking of that as a power ballad. It's just, it's just uh, open declaration of complete devotion, and it's, it's relentlessly so. <laughs> um, and then another, another song I do at karaoke a lot is uh, Janis Joplin, "Peace in My Heart." Oh yeah, of course. Which is stellar. That's a lot of fun. Or is is uh, not is um is the time of my life from Dirty Dancing. That's a power ballad. Uh, do I think that would... Yes, I do think that's a power ballad. Right. Yeah. Bill um, Medley and can, Jennifer Warren. What else? So, we, uh, we, we talked about Casey and JoJo earlier. We have not talked about Boys to Men. Oh, my gosh. And I feel like we'd be remiss to not bring up Boys to Men. <laughs> Girl. I mean, just any any moment where the guy just kind of leans into the mic real close and is like, girl, you know I love you. Why won't you love me back? I mean, like, I feel so sorry for that guy when he does that. It's like, I just don't understand. It's like, dude, she doesn't dig you. She That's what you don't I'm understand. You cannot comprehend. That she's like over. She likes another guy. She's like done with you. No amount of singing or pop music success is gonna woo her. She thinks you're gross. She's done. I just don't understand. That's the part where my heart breaks for that guy. Yeah, it was the, was the um the breakdown in the middle. This, yeah. Uh, that's the best part of the song. The video is is just great. I mean, it's amazing. It's like it's like the thing, and I know this because I have two teenage daughters now. It's like the video to show your teenage daughters to just say, "This is how the the the, the dudes you're dealing with right now are this dumb." Like, <laughs> watch the video, uh, understand where they're coming from. It doesn't matter. That's so funny. I, I, yeah, I, I was, uh, I was wondering if last, is it called Last Days? Wait, uh, oh Gus yeah, Van yeah, Sant when they play movie. the boys to men, the, the, um, Gus Van Sant movie about Kurt Cobain, or like, somebody like yeah. Kurt Cobain. 
Oh yeah, my gosh, that is so creepy and wonderful, that sequence. Yeah, when you told me when you told me you were going to use power ballads from movies, that came to mind. It's just such a, like, but it's so different from everything you chose. It's like a, uh, it's like a, you know, antithesis of what's actually happening in the film itself. Uh, it's like all of this passion coming from, you know, a TV in another room. While he's like <laughs> mentally considering the last day of his life, right? And he's he's like has this kind of success built on this passion he has for music, and then there's these like yeah. corporate stooges belting out nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I remember love it. that. We I'm watched. Sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, boys to men. I don't mean to refer to you as corporate stooges. Uh, I, I, I think they'll be fine. I think, I think they'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Unless they have some sort of Google alert that, uh, tells them when people have insulted them. I, I don't even know, you know, not necessarily an insult. It's just a different way to make music and be creative. I would say that there are certainly ways in which boys to men... Uh, I mean, I give over to that stuff. I mean, I'll I'll be happy to just give over in the way they want me to, to that song. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm pleased to do that for them. What's another song that, um, there was some, there was another song that I knew we had talked about before that you just think is outrageous. (laughs) Um, Is that I Believe um, I Can Fly? No, it's not I Believe I Can Fly. It's uh, Unmazed by Lone Star. (laughs) (laughs) The the, the deal is with Lone Star. Every time I rise me, this feeling inside me is almost more than I can take. <laughs> I just feel like I feel like those guys just understand women uh in a different way than I do. <laughs> I, I, I no, wish the, going into the choruses, uh, I've never been this close to anyone or anything. I can hear your wait, I can hear your thoughts, I can see your dreams. <laughs> yeah, something right. like that. <laughs> that is that is so fucking out of control. I mean, she needs she's got to rein that in. That 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 poor lady. No, uh, oh, the one that the one the one that I love the most. No, this is the one. Is uh um the Oh god, what's that called? Where he's like I can I can hear your like basically, he has sex with the ghost. Oh, the breed! I'm the sunlight in your hair. Yeah, I'm yeah. the shadow yeah. on the ground. I'm the whisper in the wind. <laughs> yes. What is that? That's what is it. that song? That's it. It's a, I think that's another Lone Star song. I know Can it's you, Lone I'm Star. I'm already there. I'm, I'm already, already there. there. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh my God, that's right. It was I'm already but, there. I mean, the, the funniest thing about I'm already there is that I could listen to that like six times in a row, singing so full throated in my car. Huh? Take a look around. Take a look around. I'm the, I'm the sunlight in your hair. 
I'm the shadow on the ground. That would be, that's like the easiest song to make up, um, like, spoof lyrics to as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just, just to be corny and stupid with. I mean, that's just a great one. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm the whisper in the wind. <laughs> and I'll be there till the end. Yeah. Won't you feel... The love that we share. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, oh, that, maybe I should show that to my daughters. That is how stupid men are. Those are grown men. They are my age. They need to know better than that. And that's really uh, how they see it. They're like, you know, they're just looking at a woman as somebody who just, when they're gone, all she's thinking about is how awesome they are and how much she misses them. <laughs> And, and I'm, I happen to be married to a brilliant, smart, uh, amazingly beautiful and talented woman who loves me. But mm-hmm. when I'm gone, she's not feeling me in the sunlight on her hair. <laughs> she's like, ah, oh, finally, I got some time here. Okay, I can get some stuff done. <laughs> uh, but can't she feel the love that you share because you're already there? I tried that. I'm like, hey, baby, I'm already there, you know. Can you feel it? I'm like, no, nah, not really. Uh, it, uh, I, I don't think it's a power ballad, but all of this uh, bringing up songs that we used to joke about a lot. Uh-huh. One of my favorite... Um, one of my favorite music-related memories of doing theater with you uh-huh. was uh, during the play that we talked about doing with Bryson, the, uh, An Evening with Ives. Um, the guy that I uh, was, who was like, I was cast across from uh-huh. in uh, De Gasse Moi, yes. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> I think it was at a matinee. It, maybe it was a Saturday night and then the next show was a matinee i think that's what it was so on a saturday night during the run of the show peter just went up just like (laughs) it was before my entrance it was before i ever had to come on so peter went up couldn't had no concept of what he was supposed to say i almost came on early and just started my lines and and like by the time i had had enough thought to do that he had picked up somewhere else and we were all kind of, you know, ragging him and giving him shit. And the next day, <laughs> you called everyone into the costume shop <laughs> and uh-huh. made everyone stand around this giant table and hold hands. And you played Daniel Powder's Bad Day <laughs> and dedicated it to Peter. Yeah. You're like, Peter, this one's for you, buddy. <laughs> Where is the moment you needed the most? <laughs> wasn't that song like that song became popular like as the the American Idol playoff song like like ah oh, yeah, you got voted was. off American Idol here's a song and a uh, montage of uh, all your great moments it, it underscored with a song that's saying so you had a bad day take your one down you're Sing not gonna be famous just to turn like it every- around. <laughs> You wasted a lot of time out here in LA. We still own all your tracks. Goodbye and have a great day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. I just remember because, like, the guy was kind of a twerp to work with in the first place. Oh, yeah. So you, I mean, he was nice enough. He just, like, was very scattered. 
Um, he was so when he. The problem with him was that he he carried himself like he was, like, you know, that he was a really great theater guy, or he's like God's yeah. gift to theater, and he was, and when he went up, it was like, oh, he's the last guy that's gonna forget what to say, you right. know, like he's yeah. a pro, right? And he yeah. wasn't. He wasn't yeah. a pro. No, he wasn't. <laughs> but it was what it was, and I I can't hear that song without thinking of how funny that was. Well, for what it's worth, that's what I think of when I hear that song as well, is I think of Good. doing that show I'm with glad. you. Um, and I glad. don't hear that song that often. It's not as ubiquitous yeah. as it was for a couple of years there. Um, it's, it's tragic. We should bring it back. I think you should. I think as the podcast is going off the air, you should play Bad Day. Um, I'll play it in its entirety in an already longish episode. <laughs> yes, yes. Do it. Bad day. That sounds. I. I. I'm gonna do it. Mark my words. Um, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we wrap this up? Well, I mean, you know, Bill Murray is from Chicago, so if anybody happens to be listening to this from Chicago and has any connections to Bill, you can uh, you can stalk Bill with us if you go to lookingforbillmurray.com. And if you're just like uh, a filmmaker and you want to see what my wife Emily and I make uh, and call movies and cinema, um, go to... <laughs> Go to WeMadeThesefilms.com. So. We Made These Films. We Made These uh, Films. That's really cool. You can watch like two of our our last two feature films for free there. And then there's also a trailer cool. there, I think, for um, Cinema Purgatorio, which is the Looking for Bill Murray movie. So you can, you can see at least the trailer. And uh, I'm an actor in it. I, I co-wrote it with my wife, and I direct the movie, and I act in it, so you can see me in the um, in the trailer. So. So you can see what this person who loves Madonna's crazy for you <laughs> looks like and acts like. No, I'm gonna send you a photo, a perfect a perfect photo of my face, like a promotional kind of photo of my face. And then you can put that with the podcast listing or something. So then people will get the best impression of me. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I'll totally do that. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm just one of those actor guys. that's just trying to get, a, get attention and get noticed. Right. So, um, the last thing that I will ask is how do you think your love of and passion for and knowledge of power ballads has affected you uh, creatively? And how how do you think it's affected your life in general, if you do think that? Well, I, I mean, I think, I think the way it affects the work that I do, I'm, I'm really tough on myself, and I have, you know, what I think is pretty good taste in film and and now as a filmmaker like i'm very aspirational like i want to make great work i don't just want to make uh you know serviceable or okay things and mm-hmm. the the thing that i think you know thinking about and enjoying uh, a power ballad here and there reminds you of is is sometimes when you're worried about a scene or a sequence or even an entire film working 
Like, which is a mm -hmm. lot of things that we think about when we're, like, assembling a short film or a long film. We're like, ah, this is not going to work, or this is not the right tone, or I think that got off there, or this is not going to hold together. There's something very powerful about just seeing well-crafted stories play out, mm -hmm. and they just work. And so when there's a shot out of focus, or when an actor doesn't quite give you the line reading you want, or, you know, you have to go with this take instead of that take, or the lighting is poor, or there's something wrong. With the film mm -hmm. that you're just killing yourself about. It's like, you know, just trust the story. And like with Cinema Purgatorio, I know there's tons of mistakes. I mean, it's a movie we made for $50,000. There's going to be errors yeah. and mistakes and things that people who know cinema or filmmaking will be like, oh, well, they, you know, they should have done that there yeah. or they didn't do that. But at the end of the day, I feel like, and Emily, we just watched uh, the picture lock of the movie and we're like, I think the story totally works. Like, that was the happy cool. surprise of the film. Like, seeing it finished now is like, it worked. It worked. So That's awesome. So it's like, I, I think there's a comfort in power ballads that's like, yeah. you know, um, just because something's cheesy and something is, is you know, Lone Star dumb, it's like right. that, that really does, that can work and, and create a moment with an audience. The other thing I would say just in life is uh, I think power ballads remind us not to take ourselves too seriously, not to get too yes. full of ourselves, or too maybe even do they on some level remind us not to get too complicated and to think too much about relationships we're in, um, relationships with other people as friends or romantic relationships. I mean, don't power ballads just remind us that you know um, uh, life can be. Uh, in certain moments, life can be really gorgeous and lovely, and why not just enjoy that moment? <laughs> why not just celebrate that moment and not be dark and cynical and assuming the worst in a certain moment? Um, so, so I kind of like I, I like that. I like that about power ballads. I love that. That's uh, that's a great that's a great reasoning and a great uh, way that they keep you in check if you will yeah because i'm i'm as um i'm as much of a pretentious cinema cinema douchebag as the next guy maybe not as much as the <laughs> next guy but there's a guy in the line that i'm as much as him and um and so yeah i think uh it's just like seeing the ghost of mr chicken just you need to see the ghost of mr chicken you 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 comedy geniuses <laughs> This ghost, uh, ghost, and Mr. Chicken. The ghost and Mr. Chicken. It's a, it's a Don okay. Knotts, mid to late '60s, you know, studio-made comedy. <laughs> but, but, you know, I would say see the ghost and Mr. Chicken, and just get off your comedy high horse and just enjoy it for okay. what it is, and remember that that sometimes funny is just funny. You know, just let it be I funny. Like it. <laughs> Make them laugh. Exactly. Uh, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I knew. Uh, yeah, that's that. I love that shit. Absolutely. Um, that's cool. I'll have to check out the ghost and Mr. Chicken. Um, thank you so much for doing this. This was really awesome. Yeah, and a lot of fun. I agree. I'm um, Emily and I are big fans of yours. So, and, and I don't mean to sound like a corny dad when I say that. Like, we're like really big fans of yours, and we're ready to uh, ride your coattails to glory. So, 
that that's awesome i i really like knowing that i have you guys as fans and the feeling is very very mutual awesome yeah uh the last thing that i say to close it out um in this case the last thing i'll say before i start playing daniel powder's bad day Uh um (laughs) is uh that chris i love you and i mean that well thank you i love you too mary beth
This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.